Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce the next guest. She has previously worked for the Arizona Cardinals and is now the Corporate Partnerships Marketing Coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Maddie Redmond, everyone. Enjoy. You've been in sports, you know, since you graduated college uh, back in 2018. Woohoo! Class of 18. <laughs> um, so talk about your path into sports and, you know, how you've been able to, um, you know, make that a career. Yeah, so I always knew that I was interested in sports, whether that was, you know, being a fan watching games on TV or being an athlete participating in sports myself. I always had a passion for sports and knew that there was just something about it, that energy that you get and that rush that you get when you go to a sporting event, when you're playing a sport and knew that there was an opportunity for me to make a career out of this. And quite frankly, I had thought that journalism was the only route for me to go because really (laughs) the only visibility that there is for women specifically and young girls in sports is the Aaron Andrews of the world. You know, you, you don't hear about the CEOs and the, the female executives on the business side in sports. So when I committed to um, or decided to go to ASU for college, I had joined the journalism school, the Cronkite School of Journalism. And before actually going to campus and, and starting in the fall of 2014, I changed my mind and decided to go the business route and went to WP Carey School of Business and started with marketing there. And then I added the sports business degree once that program had launched. So double majored in marketing and sports business and knew that that was going to be my in and my my way to kind of get my foot into the industry and um, had some internships throughout my, my time in college that have led me to now having a full-time role working for an NFL team, which is pretty surreal. Yeah, yeah. And, and talk about being open uh, to opportunities and not limiting yourself. Um, talk about your various roles on campus while you were in school and also finding a way to get those internships um, early in sports. Yeah. So first off, I, upon entering my freshman year of college, I, you know, wasn't necessarily aware that I needed to have internships, didn't really have my mindset on that, but I heard about a career fair that the Sports Business Association was hosting and in September, the month that I had started there, and I ended up just going just for the heck of it and had printed out my resume. You know, I had had uh, some jobs in, in high school, had one really great summer job that um, I thought was going to be, you know, my best experience coming into college. <laughs> and I just went to this career fair with my, my bunch of resumes printed out and dressed nicely and handed out my resume to every single table there and was the last person there standing, talking to, to a table. Everyone else had left and I didn't even realize until I looked around and was like, wow, I've been here talking this whole time, but I've made some really great conversations. So I, that last table that I was standing with was with Navigate Research and they are a um, sponsorship evaluation agency based in Chicago, but they have a Scottsdale office. And I ultimately ended up getting an internship with them. So they offered me a role as a marketing research intern or market research intern, where I did a lot of, um, I built a lot of decks for the sales team, but also did a lot of research projects with um, 
the analytics and research team where we pulled a lot of data from the studies that we were doing and put that put it into qualitative um, information and, and translated in, into actual words and, um, you know, more digestible format than just numbers. So enjoyed that a lot and kind of got my taste of sponsorship a little bit. And then at that same time, I began getting involved with the Sports Business Association on campus and ran for the vice president of marketing role and was elected to the executive board in that role my freshman year. So at the end of my freshman year, going into uh, the summertime, went home to Albuquerque, worked a summer job there, came back in the fall and had an internship with AdSport. And they are a marketing agency, a sponsorship agency based in Phoenix, and they manage primarily Chevron and Texaco's sport property sponsorship. So they managed um, the Arizona Cardinals relationship. They manage the, now the Dallas Cowboys relationship. They manage um, different collegiate properties, all these different properties for Chevron and Texaco and got a really great opportunity there to see more of what team sponsorships look like and to be on the client side. I then, you know, switching, turning the tables to what I was doing on campus. I then ran for president of the Sports Business Association and was the president-elect then. And then ultimately my junior year, I became the president of SBA, did that my junior and senior year. And at that same time, I then transitioned into interning for the Arizona Cardinals on the business development team in a partner service and activation role, where that was really kind of my bread and butter and what got me to the role that I'm in today, because I was able to learn what it's like to actually activate partnerships for a team and manage these relationships and interact with all different departments and different folks in the organization. So that was kind of my journey through undergrad, my involvement on campus, my involvement with my internships, and um, just feel like I really, I decided that I wanted to, um, you know, I had an open mind going into it, but once I found out that I really loved sponsorships, that's what I just went with. And I decided... <laughs> I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and hope that it works out. And it has, and I feel really fortunate for that. Yeah. And I love that. I think it's very important. Um, talk about being able to translate that on campus experience to the sports industry. Cause a lot of times like you go to college, you're able to get involved fairly quickly. Um, you're able to, you know, obviously, I was involved heavily on campus at my university, uh, was on multiple executive boards. But sometimes, like in the real world, that can be a challenge and it doesn't always translate. How did you make that translate and make sure that, hey, I'm, I'm going to apply this knowledge and these, this on-campus experience um, to the work and to the industry I want to work in um, and make it happen? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that the biggest takeaway for me and what translated the most was my my leadership skills and opportunities, but also the ability to work with different personalities, because that is something that you are going to have in any role that you're in, especially post-college when you're working in a, a, you know, a more corporate setting. <laughs> personalities drive your business and they drive your day-to-day -day interactions with your coworkers. So for me, learning okay, my VP of marketing, this is how they like to do things, but the VP of events, this is what makes them tick. And how can I reach both of them? Because, you know, my, my way of holding them accountable 
might not translate for both of them. And I might have to, um, you know, learn how to speak to them differently and also have different, you know, same standards, but have a different approach to how I approach conversations with them. So I think that's what's what really translated. And I think that that's experience that you can gain in any on-campus and any undergrad experience, whether it's a fraternity or a sorority, whether it's a sports organization that you're in, whether it's a team that you play on, even if it's an intramural team, there are personalities that you're dealing with and being able to, to learn how to cater to those and manage them effectively is probably was the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, that's huge. And, and talk about your time with the Arizona Cardinals and being able to stay um, with the NFL and that specific sport. Um, what makes it different from the other sports and how you've been able to, because a lot of times uh, individuals might be jumping around, um, you know, from team to team. Uh, within a particular sport, it might have multiple sports. Um, but how have you been able to stay uh, within an NFL? And what you know, what's the most enjoyable part about working in the NFL space? I definitely think. Well, first of all, the NFL is my favorite sport to watch, so <laughs> that helps a ton. I'm a huge football fan, and football has always been been my favorite sport to consume as a fan. And I think you know, when you're looking at the major four sports leagues, let's, let's call them the <laughs> NFL is King for sure. And it's, it's definitely the pinnacle of where most people want to work. And so I set my sights on that and knew that out of the teams in Arizona that I could work for, the Cardinals were where I wanted to be. And that is um, ultimately where I, where I networked and where I had connections and had you know, done my due diligence, getting to know people that would be able to be helpful in in my success in the future and lend a hand to me getting a role there. So I think once you're able to really refine what you're interested in by building those connections and networking with the right people will get you there no matter what the league is. So for me, being able to to start there, I also knew that um, I'm I'm not necessarily going to be there forever. Um, I, I would love to be, I'd love to work for the NFL and for a team, um, forever, but know that that's not always in the cards given opportunities, wanting to grow and and move up and take different leadership roles. But I was able to ultimately stay in the NFL and transition to the Cowboys here because of the recommendations that I had from doing a good job in my role with the Cardinals and the network that I had built. I had actually, I met my now boss, my director, at league meetings last Mm. fall and had built a connection with her. And then when I knew that I was, was looking to transition and move to Texas, that was my, my first outreach was reaching out to her. And so ultimately it comes back to people and those connections and everyone says network, 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 but truly (laughs) it is the best thing that you can do. And I think something that will make anybody wildly successful if it's done correctly and done well. Yeah, for sure. You talk about the networking piece. Um, how vital is that? And, you know, especially like going to events is a big part of it. But outside those events, what are some other strategies that you've used um, to continue that networking outside, you know, a networking event? Yeah, I think when you're if you're in a college setting and you have these events that your your school or an organization are putting on, it is in your best interest to go to all of them and not just go to all of them, 
but be engaged when you're at these events and take time at the end of the event to meet the speakers. If you're at a panel, take some time at the end to introduce yourself to the panelists and get to know them a little bit better and get their contact information so that you can follow up. Um, you know, don't just, just sit in the audience and be a fly on the wall, actually be engaged. And I think that that's key when you're going to different networking events too. It's easy to stay in your bubble and stay with the people that are comfortable to you and that you know at one of these events, but kind of getting out of your comfort zone and, and not being afraid to talk to people. It's, it's very much like dating, you know, if you're <laughs> not going to meet people if you don't put yourself out there. So I think with, with networking, you know, it's changed a bit since we're in this new world, this COVID world that we're living in where events aren't happening and you're not going to these group happy hours and, and there aren't these big panel events. Um, and I, I think it's easy for people to get comfortable behind their screen too and just think, oh, well, I'm just going to blindly connect to as many people as I can on LinkedIn and, and hopefully, you know, I make a great connection. Well, yes, by reaching out to someone and asking them to connect on LinkedIn, that is a form of connection. I don't think that that is the most genuine connection. And I think that there's more that can be done. So I'd recommend if you're reaching out to someone, absolutely reach out to them on LinkedIn, but send a personalized message or, um, you know, once they accept your request, reach out to them and, and let them know why you reached out to them or why you connected with them. Um, and just get to know them a little bit better on a more personal level rather than just adding them just for the sake of adding to your connection list. So (laughs) I think that that's just being intentional about your networking is, is so key. And also knowing that, every interaction that you have with someone can, can provide value for both yourself and for them, that it's not, it doesn't need to just be a meaningless conversation. Try to always look how, look to see how you can add value um, to, to someone or an interaction. Yeah. I love that. Um, I mean, you have to nail on the head there with making sure you're personalizing it and every making sure you're adding additional value um, instead of just the, the LinkedIn request of you. I love that. Yeah. Um, so talk about corporate partnerships. Uh, they're, they're sales, they're marketing, they want to drive revenue, um, you know, for the team, essentially. Where, for those people who aren't familiar with corporate partnerships, where would you put them on the side of, you know, the sales and the marketing team within a, within a team or franchise? I would say that corporate partnerships are, you know, well, as it relates to where teams typically get their revenue, tickets are, are still always number one. Ticket revenue is number one for most teams. And then sponsorship is right there second. So <laughs> I think I, I got a really great perspective once from a speaker that I listened to when I was in college that said, you always, if you're, you know, this is how you're wired. You always want to be on the revenue generating side of, of an organization because your job is that much more valuable to an organization. You know, it's great to work. And this is not me discounting anyone that works in community relations or public relations or marketing, team marketing. That's all great. But at the end of the day, if you can say that you are responsible for bringing in revenue or retaining revenue, that's just one extra layer of value that you're adding to, to your portfolio and your kind of profile as an employee in the organization. So for me, I take a lot of pride in that. And I don't take that for granted and know that the relationships that I have with my clients are very important. And I am responsible for retaining that revenue. And at any moment, a client could 
get irritated with something that I say or could be disappointed by something that I don't fulfill or don't execute. And they could walk away and that could cost the organization millions of dollars. And I think (laughs) when you phrase it that way, you feel very grateful for your job, but you also take your job a lot more seriously and know that you have an opportunity to really have an impact on this organization. And that just makes me work that much harder knowing that, that I'm able to truly have an impact on the Cowboys bottom line and um, ultimately Jerry Jones's revenue. You know, we all know that he's concerned about revenue. He loves money. (laughs) So why wouldn't I want to be a driver of that? Yeah, for sure. You talk about revenue generation and how different is that? Um, Obviously tickets um, drive revenue. I'm sure right now um, it's challenging, but a lot of teams, um, are welcoming fans, including the Dallas Cowboys, will be mm-hmm. welcoming fans at some point uh, coming up soon within the season. Um, but how does the business side, the corporate partnership side, look different, the persona um, that you guys are talking to? How different is that from, like, uh, the ticket side of the house? Yeah, so we we actually have – we actually had fans at our first game, and we are continuing to have fans this Sunday at our next home game. So – very exciting. Um, <laughs> That's to, awesome. To have, yeah, to have folks <laughs> back at AT&T Stadium. But I would say that our clients are different because we are dealing with businesses and and big corporations with marketing budgets rather than a family with you know their own disposable income that mm-hmm. they're looking to spend on entertainment. So we are talking to local companies uh, like an elevator service company, one of my (laughs) partners, um, like a flooring company, all the way up to the Dr. Peppers and the AT&Ts of the world. (laughs) So these folks, their mindset is a lot different than than the the consumer like you and me looking to buy tickets. But also at the same time, these people are still fans. And uh, and a lot of them, especially the smaller partners and, and more local partners, a lot of their decisions are driven by their fandom which can hurt them when they're, they're trying to make smart business decisions, but their fandom gets in the way. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, if, if the team doesn't have a great season, fans can say, okay, well, we're not buying tickets, whatever. I'm not going to games. I don't want to watch games, whatever. Whereas a sponsor, they're locked into a contract and they <laughs> can't necessarily just walk away from it just because there's been one bad season. So the decision making is a little bit different there, but um, I would say that our relationships are built on on long term kind of mutually beneficial relationships. So we want to make sure that our clients are helping us, but we're helping them, of course, as well. Whereas on the ticket sales side, it's kind of like you're just helping the client, you know, like the the fan. The fans aren't really they're doing something for you by attending the games, but they're not, you know, once they, they buy that ticket, they're not really a much of a concern for you. And, and there's not going to be an extended relationship there necessarily. Exactly. Exactly. And, and from a, a buying perspective on the business side, um, you know, whether I'm a local business or, you know, a fortune 500 company, if you will, what, would I be obviously with COVID it's extremely different with different events um, being hosted, the number of events that will be hosted. Um, What does that look like um, as far as generating revenue 
um, during a time like, uh, you know, as the pandemic uh, continues to, you know, as we continue through this time? Yeah, revenue generating is not top of <laughs> mind for for businesses as it relates to, um, you know, how we're rev- how we're generating revenue. They're they're concerned with what they're doing um, in their own aspects and how they can salvage as much money possible. And sponsorships are not necessarily top of mind and aren't the top priority because they're trying to pay their employees and are trying to to make their business run. And and sponsorships are more of a nice to have, not a need to have. So that's been tough and and where it relates to events not happening. We definitely have seen a hit with, um, you know, the lack of events and just know that we are are so reliant on future events next year and events that are going to be booked at AT AT&T Stadium next year for us to be able to to really make up some of that ground. And just knowing that, you know, we might not be um, making as much revenue and our 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 goals are not going to be hit the same that we had anticipated them. But we are building long-term relationships and, and just really looking ahead towards the future and not letting this year get us down and definitely not counting it out and counting it off or writing it off as a, a zero this year. We're still still trying to salvage as much as we can and, and trying to bring in as much as we can, but definitely just looking ahead and knowing that, okay, next year is going to be bigger and better and we might not be 100% back to, to what we were last year in you know pre-COVID times, but we are going to do everything we can to to come back fighting. Yeah, for sure. And when you have clients, obviously uh, on the business side, they're locked into that contract. Um, how do you salvage the ones that are thinking about not renewing that contract or on the cuffs of trying to renew and kind of on the you know trying to decide if they want to renew with with the Dallas Cowboys on trying to decide, hey. I'm not sure if we want to renew this contract or not. What what does that dialogue look like? And what are some strategies to make sure you guys are able to keep those clients? In a, a normal time or during <laughs> COVID time? <laughs> I mean, uh, both. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, this being my, my first season with the Cowboys and coming in, um, I did have some deals that we, we did renew um, in the off season, but obviously I hadn't worked on them in previous years. So I didn't have much, mm-hmm. much to kind of impart on that. But I would say typically when it comes to a renewal, if there's a partner that's on the fence, it's very important to understand exactly why is it because we didn't deliver to their expect mm-hmm. their expectations? Is it because the asset mix that we have in their agreement just didn't work for them? They didn't utilize them. It didn't, you know, it didn't meet um, their idea of what what it would look like. Is it because the team is doing terribly? I mean, I can tell you when a team is winning, it's a lot easier to get <laughs> renewals done. And that seems like it wouldn't have as much of an impact um, because at the end of the day, like it's still the NFL. It's still, um, you know, still the Dallas Cowboys, for example. But when the team is performing well, it makes our jobs a lot easier. And so I dealt with that in Arizona, we had a, a three and 13 season worst <laughs> season in team history. And it is tough to get partners to be interested, but you have to still, you know, promise them that you're delivering the value and show them. So this now in, in our day and age that we're living in now, partners are not renewing and are not signing agreements unless they see data and actual mm-hmm. analytics and proof as to why something is worth what it is. So we can't just say, 
oh yeah, this LED that's going to run in the stadium during a game is going to be worth this and you're going to get so many eyeballs and it's going to be great. They want to know exactly how many people are going to see it, how that translates. They want to know what the fan sentiment is about their brand, how their brand gets a lift during the season with this marketing. They want to know all of that. So it's up to us to deliver that. And if you're not delivering that, it's really unacceptable, quite frankly. There's, you know, there's no reason why a partner would want to do business with you if you can't prove to them why your business is um, and your partnership is worth it. So it's really just backing up everything that we do and then always, you know, over delivering and doing doing things above and beyond what anybody's expectations were so that when it comes to renewal, there's no question. And also being able to be flexible and say, yeah, so you guys had, you know, this event invitation. They had a, a golf foursome in their agreement and you guys didn't use it this year. Is is that a good use of, of your funds or is, <laughs> can we translate that to, um, you know, a radio spot? Because some partners, they aren't hospitality based. They aren't going to use their assets for entertaining employees or clients. They just want straight advertising and that's fine. And you just have to be able to provide that and understand that. So I think you, I will say, if you go into a deal and sell a deal well and fully, fully um, vested at the very beginning from the beginning of the relationship, the renewal is going to come that much easier. But if it's, if it was a, a fight at the beginning and, you know, there were a lot of disagreements or misunderstandings from the beginning, a renewal is going to be a lot harder to come by. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's extremely true with got to be able to communicate and have that open communication. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and talk about the process of, so I'm sure on the corporate partnership side, a lot of business submit requests um, to be a partner. So how does that get filtered and how does the decision-making process work on choosing a right partner, not only for a business, but for the Dallas Cowboys as well. Yeah, definitely comes down to, to fit of companies and, and values. And I think there are, it depends on the organization. Some organizations might not be so concerned with that because they are just looking for, for revenue and they'll just (laughs) kind of, you know, take what they can get, but you know, really great organization when you have the opportunity to be picky about who you partner with and rather than signing for the the sake of quantity it's (laughs) signing for quality people and quality partners so you know that yeah the i some electrical local electrical company they might do a lot of sponsorship deals with a lot of other teams but when you talk to your your colleagues at the other teams you learn that they're a pain in the butt to deal with and they (laughs) will nickel and dime you and they're, they're not respectful of your time or, or anything. And so you know that that's not something that you're interested in, even if they're willing to spend a lot of money um, with the team. You, you definitely want to do something that's going to be a good fit. And I think cultures are very important. And, you know, the, I think that the Cowboys do a really good job of looking at partners that have the same cultures as us and the same values. So, you know, whether it's, they're homegrown or they're, they're native to Texas, or they have a really great, um, you know, family tie with the Jones family, then, then those are definitely going to be partners that we consider partnering with rather than, you know, someone that we just hear off of the street. 
Um, and those, those partnership deals are always initiated by, I don't want to say always, cause there's, <laughs> I'm sure that there's times when a business reaches out to the team, but most of the time it's the team reaching out to businesses to recruit that business. Mm. Um, you know, and, and there may be warm leads based on past relationships with, with somebody, you know, you might have a, an old day-to-day contact at one company that moves and goes and works for another company or another agency that reps another company or brand. And that's kind of how those, that process begins um, is that kind of outreach. And that, does that also go with um, as far as on the partnership side, does that include signage and everything um, to the stadium as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything. Yeah. For that, partnerships. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's huge. I love it. Um yeah, so talk about, you know, the culture within the Dallas Cowboys, uh, the NFL, what makes it unique, and, you know, what particularly makes the Cowboys, you know, a special organization to work with? I feel like the the culture with the Cowboys is one that is so unique and so special and so true to just the Cowboys fashion. I mean, the the phrase, the Cowboys way, is, is a real <laughs> mindset and a real way that we we try to live our lives every single day. And, and that's really just the pursuit of excellence. So everything that we're doing is going to be done the top notch way. It's going to be done in true Jones fashion um, with our own sense of, you know, flair, but also it's going to be very professional, very buttoned up. Um, There's also a really great supportive culture of community within the organization and teamwork. And I think, that's something that a lot of um, teams probably don't always have. There's a lot of, you know, very siloed, your departments, you just kind of stay in your lane and you don't interact too much with, with other people. Whereas we're interacting with so many different departments every single day. And I think that there is, there's also a culture of really like no BS. I mean, we, (laughs) they're, they're not going to accept anyone who's, who's just there, um, you know, for drama or just there, um, just to be there. You definitely have a purpose when you're, when you're coming to work and when you're doing your job and everybody wants to do things the best that they can and everybody wants to succeed and wants to help each other succeed, which is super special. And I think, um, I think that the league does a really good job of instilling that with the teams and just knowing that this is top notch and this is, we're all looking to, to just be excellent. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't say it any better. I mean, the culture culture is important. Um, being that you previously worked at the Arizona Cardinals, uh, what made that particular culture special? And what was, you know, you were there for a period of time, you know, in college as well. Uh, so what did you really enjoy about uh, being with the Arizona Cardinals? Yeah, I loved, I loved working for the Cardinals. And I love that very similarly to, to the Cowboys organization, it's, it's family run, it's a family run team. So both, you know, Michael Bidwell is the the owner and president of the Arizona Cardinals and Jerry Jones is the owner and president of the Cowboys. So it's, it's pretty special to come uh, to work every day, knowing that you're working for um, people of integrity and, and this kind of family atmosphere. So the, the Cardinals was a lot smaller than the Cowboys um, which I, I really appreciated because I was able to really build relationships with almost every single human <laughs> being in the organization and get to know them on a very personal level that by the time that, that I left, I felt like I knew a lot about everybody and it was, you know, hard to leave some of those relationships. And 
Um, I think that there was definitely a very supportive culture there too, of wanting to, to make everybody successful and help each other out. Um, but I just really appreciated the, the ties that we had to, um, to each other just because it was so intimate and a lot smaller. And I can recognize that now being in a bigger organization, but it's also hard for me to really truly say what culture with the Cowboys is like in the office, because I haven't actually spent any time in the office since I started. (laughs) It's all been virtual. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, uh, working virtual. um, How do you, how does the team and organization uh, maintain that culture uh, virtually? And what are some fun things um, as a team in your department specifically specifically have done to make sure, you know, uh, you know, everybody's doing all right. Maybe, you know, mental, you know, there's mental check-ins, um, yeah. you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. So we, when COVID first started and everyone was, was working from home and I started in March, we of course kind of jumped on the bandwagon. Like I think a lot of companies did and had different happy hours and, <laughs> and made sure to check in on each other. And that was really, really crucial for me too, to get to know people because I had to be very intentional about my outreach because I couldn't just sit at my desk in the office and pop over to somebody else's desk (laughs) and ask them a question. I had to actively reach out to people if I had a question and put myself out there and also get to know them at the same time while learning how to do my job. So I think we did a really good job with that, with getting, you know, making me feel welcome and, and involved in every single member of the team had scheduled their own one-on-one kind of, whether it was like a coffee chat or a happy hour where I got to just get to know each of them on a one-on-one basis. Um, You know, a little bit more than just in a work setting when you're on a team call with 20 other people, you don't really know someone's personality um, too, too much. So they've done that. And we've done, you know, now that things are opening up a little bit more, I've seen some people in person for, Mm -hmm you know, some, some get togethers, um, and, and gone to dinner or breakfast or happy hour with some folks. And we are, uh, actually able to work out of a, a shared workspace that we have at the star at our training facility. So been able to see some people there too. And I think just having everybody know that they are to be held accountable of, of whatever they're supposed to be doing actually creates a really great culture and has kept everybody working really well virtually too. So everyone is, we are over communicating expectations and over communicating what we're doing because there is a lot of under communication when you're working virtually, you know, there's a lot of um, assumptions that can be made and there's a lot of mistakes that can be made by just missing out on, on a detail or misreading an email because you're, you know, overwhelmed or whatever it is. So I think everyone taking ownership and having accountability of what they're working on has helped to make us all really successful working virtually. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you hit the nail on the head um, there. And and talk about being a, a female in the industry and, you know, having the ability to not have that as a limitation. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. Um, you were, con- you know, considering the journalism piece um, and then crossed over to the corporate partnership side. How did you make sure, hey, you know, I want to do this. I'm going to get into this and not have anything hold me back, um, regardless of, you know, my gender and things like that. Yeah, I think it really takes having great examples and a great support system around you. So, um, you know, my parents from from the very beginning were very firm believers in 
you can do whatever you put your mind to. And, and they never doubted me for anything that I ever said I was going to do. And, you know, I, I remember my freshman year of college, I called them and said, I have a couple interviews for some different internships. And um, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to get an internship working in for a sports agency or something here in Phoenix. And they were like, you know, we aren't surprised. (laughs) This is just who you are, Maddie. That's amazing. We didn't like, we don't, we're never going to require you to do anything like that, but we know that this is just how you are. That's amazing. So having that support system is super important. And I had a really great mentor um, who's a female who was the advisor is the advisor of the sports business program at ASU. Alana Cuts is her name. And she, she was amazing and helped, helped me feel comfortable and confident and just allowed me to know that I do have a seat at the table and I can use my voice. And just because I am not, you know, I'm, I'm not able to play the sport that I'm working in because I'm a female and I've never played football, it doesn't mean that I can't be knowledgeable about it and, and be able to, to have a seat at the table and be strong and confident in that. So I think it really takes having strong people around you to help you be successful, especially as a female, it's really important to have, have a, a network of, of really strong women to be able to lean on because there are times that things get tough. And, and I think it's, it's the same for, for men too, that, you know, you need, you need people, you need support. We all do. It's, it's not just something that women need. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And talk about, um, you know, for those students who may not have that support, that supporting cast, um, how are they, who should they lean on um, if they're not getting it um, from, you know, family or, you know, other supporting members, um, where, where can they go and what's the best way to make sure they have that confidence that it shouldn't matter, you know, what gender you are. And if you want to be in the sports industry, you can do that. Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately it, definitely comes down to, to kind of like your, your beliefs that you have Mm -hmm. about yourself. And if you have limiting beliefs that, that you can't do something, then there's no reason why you're going to do it. Because if you don't even believe that you can do it, then, then how is anybody else going to believe that you're going to do it? So I think having to self-reflect and just letting go of those limiting beliefs that, you know, maybe I'm not confident enough. I don't have enough experience. I'm not what smart enough, I'm not um, pretty enough, whatever it is, any of those beliefs, let go of those. It's all extra baggage. You don't need any of that. It doesn't serve you. It's not helping you. It only weighs you down. So I think self-reflecting and being able to do that, I know that that's easier said than done, but um, some people that you can definitely have in your life, um, I highly recommend reaching out to, to some women like myself that aren't, you know, I'm not a VP yet and I'm not a, even a a director yet in my role. So Mm -hmm. I probably have um, a little bit more to relate to you than, than some of these people who are in these higher up roles. I think that that's a common mistake that a lot of people make is, you know, young people when they're in colleges, Oh, I'm going to connect and, and reach out to the VP of the (laughs) whatever. That's all great. And it's important to have them in your network. But at the end of the day, that VP, first of all, they're not the one making the hiring decisions. They have people that are making the decisions for them. And they are so busy and have so much else going on. Not to say that that your time isn't important, 
but but they are less likely to to be in contact with you and and to be kind of a resource for you also they're more far removed they're farther removed from where you are in this moment so reaching out to someone younger like a coordinator that type of role like myself reaching out to me um i've been in in your shoes someone who's in college i was there just a few years ago i i actually know what it's like no i don't know what it's like to go to school during a global pandemic but i know what it's like to go to school in the 2000s and the 2010s whereas these folks the older older folks that are maybe vps or directors they didn't go to school when social media was such a big deal and when when um you know the the different issues that we're facing as a, this generation of millennials and um and the like are facing so i think finding someone who's closer in relation to you and reaching out to them and and asking for advice um is super super helpful and i've actually had a couple different random um, younger girls that are in college reach out to me on LinkedIn and just to pick my brain and, and just to, um, you know, have some support and have someone there to be able to um, bounce ideas off of and get advice from. And so I recommend reaching out to those types of people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you want to be able to uh, relate to all types of individuals, as you mentioned, and then also being able to relate to the ones that has just did it just a few years ago, right? It's mm-hmm. important to have that uh, relatability. So that's that's huge. So key strategies, you know, what have been, you know, who have been the most influential people? Uh, you mentioned uh, some individuals with the Cardinals. Uh, who have been your biggest mentors? Um, that you still communicate with and, you know, have helped you been successful and stay successful within the sports industry? Yeah. So like I had mentioned, Alana Cutts, who was my advisor of the Sports Business Association at ASU and is still the director of that program now. She is definitely one of my biggest mentors and and now she's one of my uh, my friends. And <laughs> it's it's been really fun to be able to be groomed by her for a leadership role within SBA, but now be supported by her in my career full-time after college. So she, um, you know, reaches out often and and we catch up and I know what's going on with her family. And I'm always asking how I can be involved with SBA. And she does a really great job providing, um, you know, different advice and, and tough love and has always just been super supportive of me. So Alana is definitely a huge mentor of mine. Um, I would say I actually have a a really good family friend that my mom went to high school with who is a senior executive at Coca-Cola. And he has been um, just a really, really great resource for me Mm -hmm. to be able to provide advice like a father would because he's similar to my, my dad's age, but also like someone who's very successful in the industry. So he knows what the industry is like. He's been working in the industry for 30 plus years and um, you know, has my best interest in mind, but also has worked for so many different teams and leagues and, and has been all over that he really knows um, what to stay away from and where I might be, where my best fit might be and has has never given me bad information or, or bad advice. So I think surrounding yourself with different types of people is really important when you're looking for a mentor. And those are two people that have just been really integral to to my success. Yeah, I love it. I mean, being able to utilize uh, mentors of a variety of industries is, is phenomenal. So I love that. 
And for those individuals who are looking for that first full-time opportunity, it can definitely be a challenge, especially now with, um, you know, seasons ending, um, you know, now with uh, multiple sports, the NFL Mm -hmm. season is in full swing. Uh, So not to, you know, how do you guys do your hiring? Do you guys do any hiring during the uh, season or is it mostly done um, during the off season? I would say it's mostly done during the off season, unless there's some vacancy for some reason, if someone leaves, um, like we just hired another team um, photographer and videographer because someone had gotten an opportunity elsewhere. So that was a quick hire that we <laughs> needed, especially because we're in season. We need that, yeah. that person to be able to capture content, but typically um, it's, it would be in the off season. Yeah. I mean, that, that totally makes sense. Um, so for those individuals, given that a lot of times sports hires are, have that seasonal cycle uh, what strategies would you give those, you know, recent grads and graduates who are about to finish out their college career to try to get that first full-time job in sports? Yeah, I would say, you know, I can really only speak to the seasonality of the NFL and knowing that, hmm. um, you know, our our fiscal year starts April 1st. Um, so we're really kicking things off beginning of April um, that's when, you know, budgets are set and everything for. So I would say if you're looking to really start working in the NFL full time, working for a team full time upon graduation, springtime is when you're going to want to start looking for those jobs. So right before graduation, because that's when budgets have been made for that year um, and and they're ready to start hiring for the season because probably April and May are the times that they'll start to hire. And then come, come June, June is maybe a more quiet time for definitely for the football side of, of things. Cause they're kind of on their break, but come July when training camp starts, it is full, st- full steam ahead. There's no time to, to hire then um, for full-time jobs. Now for more like seasonal type of internships and stuff that might be a little bit more fluid Um, and kind of like seasonal work. If you're working like a game day role, that might happen a little bit later in the year, but for a lot of full-time roles, probably springtime. Yeah, for sure. And, and talk about, um, you started in Arizona and now, um, with the Dallas Cowboys, talk about that transition and having the, you know, ability to, to move and, and having that ability to just say, hey, you know what, I'm being able, I'm going to move from the West Coast and, and the, the weather to, to Dallas. So talk about that transition. Yeah, so my, my move was very much personally motivated. Um, I, so my, my boyfriend, and uh, he was finishing um, his master's program at ASU and knew that he had an opportunity in Dallas as well, a year ahead of graduation. So (laughs) he knew he was going to be moving to Dallas to actually work um, for the Cowboys with legends at AT AT&T stadium. And we had had discussions and, and I decided that I was going to move to Dallas if I was able to find a, a really great opportunity for myself. And fortunately at the same time that I decided I was going to move my, my job was posted um, my current job was posted. And like I said, I had reached out to my, uh, my now boss who I had met at league meetings and had some very candid conversations with her. And then 
um, you know, got the correct permissions that I needed to interview for another team because you do have to get those permissions when going team to team. And the Cardinals were very, very supportive of my move, knowing that this was very personally motivated that I was moving because um, wanted to to pursue my relationship, but also wanted to pursue really great success and um, new career development for myself and growth for myself. So um, knowing that there had, there could have been opportunities for me to, to, to grow and move up with the Cardinals in the years to come, but knew that this was going to be a great step for me um, to just move to, to a bigger team and, and the most wealthy brand in sports, yeah. quite frankly, um, <laughs> and, and the, the best brand in sports. So that's how that move happened. Kind of, kind of random. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how we're here in, in Dallas now. <laughs> yeah. And, and talk about, you know, the transition, the move, et cetera, obviously moving to a new location um, can be challenging. Obviously you had the support, um, you know, of your boyfriend. So that definitely um, was a plus there, but talk about just moving to a new city, um, obviously in the sports world, I'm sure, you know, you know, um, had a mentor, obviously, previously, but just talk about, you know, the, the, the scenery and things like that when you first got there. Yeah, so it all happened actually pretty quickly. I had interviewed in February and knew that my job would be starting a few weeks later. And that was the weekend after I flew out for an interview. I did not have a job offer yet, but I felt very good about it. <laughs> and my boyfriend Samuel and I, we flew out here to look at apartments and signed a lease on an apartment that without me even knowing that I had a job, I hadn't even signed a job <laughs> offer yet. And two weeks later, I moved and had started my job. So it happened really, really quickly. And he was still living in Phoenix, actually, because he was still working full time and finishing his program. And at the same time, a global pandemic broke out. So Definitely a very tough time to move. Um, you know, I didn't get the same types of closure that I probably would have wanted with the Cardinals in, in the sense of we normally have a happy hour for a going away. Um, I didn't really get to have a, a lunch with my department, being able to say goodbye. And um, that was that is actually something that I definitely missed out on and know that it was out of my control because at the beginning of, of the pandemic, you know, we didn't know what to expect. And people were like, we shouldn't be together. We shouldn't be around other people. We don't think this is a good idea and just didn't know what to do. So definitely miss out on that. That was tough. Um, and, and a little bit emotional just because I had been there for four years and felt like that was really kind of a family that I had built and had such, such great relationships there. So I know that we'll make up for that later, that there will be a time that I'll be able to get together with, with everyone later and um, get that closure. But moving, moving is definitely, um, you know, stressful anytime. <laughs> and then when you're moving, given such uncertain times, it's a little bit more stressful. And I actually was, I moved to Dallas in March and stayed here for a couple of weeks and then ended up going back to Phoenix and staying in Phoenix for the next two months while stay at home orders were extended. And while we were really on lockdown, you know, in quarantine so that, that Samuel and I could be together and didn't have to quarantine in different States by ourselves, where, especially me, where I knew no one here um, and, and really was just by myself and starting a new role and having all these changes happening. So that's kind of what that looked like for us, but we, 
definitely love the neighborhood that we live in. And, and I got to know it really well as I spent a lot of time going on walks outside and just trying to explore the area while I was here by myself. Yeah, for sure. And talk about that time um, being back to Phoenix. So did you guys have that place um, already? And then you went back mm-hmm. to Phoenix and so forth? Yeah, so we had two apartments. We had my apartment, um, our apartment here in, in Dallas that I had moved into. And then he had our apartment in Phoenix that he was still living in. And um, so fortunate that we still had that space and still had, we had half our furniture in one place and half <laughs> in the other. So it was a little bit of living out of kind of a hodgepodge situation, but glad that we were able to at least be together. That was the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so talk about the interview process. What was that like? What did that look like? Um, And was there any virtual interviews that had to be done? And then how long was it before you got the offer after like the final round of interviews came through? Yeah, so most of my interviews took place over the phone. I had quite a few phone conversations with both um, folks on my team and with HR And that had all happened over the phone. And then, um, and that process was probably two, three weeks long, and then maybe a month long total. Then I was um, extended an invite to come out and visit for the day and do a day of interviews. So in mid-February, I was flown out to Dallas to go to the STAR, the training facility, and had the opportunity to meet my entire department there actually and and met everybody kind of in a group interview setting so really really glad that I got to do that especially given that then when I actually started my role I was doing it remotely so I had at least met everybody once and put a face (laughs) to the name and then got to get to know people virtually but interview process um was good and it was definitely definitely um long, you know, but I think that that happens with a lot of organizations and there's a lot of things out of our control that we, um, you know, different approvals and, and conversations that have to be had to move on to the next step and that sort of thing. But that's kind of what that looked like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And talk about the interview process and, you know, for those individuals who may not be the best interviewer, but are really an amazing, you know, with their attributes or personality, what are some strategies to make sure that, Hey, you know, you want to make sure that you're able to, to do well in the interview. Yeah. I think preparing as much as you can ahead of time, number one, will just make you feel a lot more comfortable and confident. But also if you have the opportunity to showcase some type of, you know, portfolio or your best work, absolutely do that. So whether it's asked of you or not, Mm -hmm. um, you know, ask if you're able to do something. I think that that's something that I I got really great feedback about that when I interviewed for my internship with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Back in college, I had put together a kind of a, a deck of my portfolio of the work that I had done the last in my last two internships. And kind of best practices and almost like a case study for my work. And I just pulled, I brought my iPad and in the right at the beginning of my interview, I said, I have, I've actually put something together that I'd like to show you and got to pull that up. And they were really, really impressed by that. And were really happy that I had come with a tangible um, example of, of my work. And I, it was really important for me to show the things that I had worked on, the different creative things that I had done and, and really, 
add, add some color to my, my story rather than me just telling them what I've done. I actually got to show them. So that's one thing that I recommend. And, you know, that's what, um, when I was interviewing for my current role, um, they did ask me to put together a kind of a deck of yeah. my work. And so I had had an opportunity to show my creative skills off and, you know, really personalize a deck for myself and put together my, my best work to then present. So it was not just me talking, it was me talking and showing my work. And that definitely allowed me to, to feel more confident. So I would say if, even if you're not a good interviewer, just think about it of, as you're just giving a presentation on yourself. And, and especially if you're prepared and you have visuals or, you know, tangible things that you can show that it help explain your work, that'll help you do a better job and make you feel that much more prepared and confident. Yeah, for sure. I love it. And just um, wrapping up here, I know you are very busy and I'm very excited. I'm glad um, we were able to have the conversation. What are you excited yeah. most, um, you know, as we continue the NFL season and particularly the Cowboys on the corporate partnership side, what types of project are you guys working on and, you know, excited to see come to life, you know, as we continue through the season? Yeah, I'm really excited to be able to continue to see different stadiums open up and have more fans and, and just mm-hmm. see kind of us get back to more normal football. Um, you know, I'm excited. I think that that selfishly, I think that the Cowboys, um, we have a really great team this year, and I'm just really hoping that we can put it together and mm-hmm. and see that come to life on the field because it's so much fun to watch the team win. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. I think that this year – uh, you know, of course, it's so different, but I think that it's I'm I'm definitely more engaged to watching what other teams are doing this year, too, because, um, you know, I am watching every single game um, from home, not necessarily Cowboys games, but every other game. I'm not traveling to other games and, you know, doing things that maybe I would have done previously in other years. So I'm I'm a little bit more engaged with them. But I think something I'm really excited about on our our team is just the different types of ways that we're we're engaging with our clients, whether it's hosting a virtual pregame reception with some of our our clients and allowing them to have different B2B intro opportunities with other corporate partners. That's something I'm really excited about. Um, I'm really excited about hosting um, you know clients on game day. I, I get to work uh, and host some clients at a game in December. So I'm really looking forward to that. And Actually getting this is something that in any other year, I would have never said this because I would have already done it and probably taken it for granted <laughs> too. But I'm so excited to actually meet a lot of my clients in person um, because I've been in- interacting with them via email and WebEx. And I'm so excited to actually finally meet people in person and get to really start to build those relationships. Yeah, I love that. Um, that's pretty amazing. I, I love what you know, corporate partnerships are doing. It's it's a phenomenal side of the business that a lot of people are, are still not familiar with. So I, I love that, you know, we were able to have the conversation. If yeah. if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? They can definitely find me on LinkedIn and, you know, reach out and um, can reach me via email too. My email is mredmond at dallascowboys.net. So feel free to reach out. 
Awesome, Maddie. I really appreciate you taking this time this evening. And, yeah, enjoy the the weekend of football. I know you guys have a packed schedule. <laughs> Absolutely, we do. Thank you so much, Adam. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Pleasure's all mine. Take care. Thanks, you too.